Well, good morning. If you'd please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians this morning. That's where we will be. Glad to be here this morning. Glad I can help out uh, fill the pulpit again for the second week in a row. Happy to be here. Happy to help. Um, So, 2 Corinthians is where we will be. Chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 18. As you are turning there, I want to give some context to this passage as well. Uh, So, 2 Corinthians was written sometime between A.D. 55 and 56, approximately 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in Paul's first letter, he wrote to the Corinthians, the people there did not like what he had to say, so they rejected it, thinking that Paul was totally against them. This is 1 Corinthians, the first letter that he wrote. But all Paul wanted was for the church to be unified with one another over the gospel. That was his heart behind this. And so because they rejected what he had to say, Paul made a visit to them in between these two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, he talks about this being the painful visit he had to make. And the reason this was painful was because he had to do the hard thing in a relationship that no one likes to do. That's confronting someone that doesn't like you because of what they thought you meant. He had to approach them, these people that he loved, even though they didn't want to hear from him. So it's like when you say something that may be a hard truth, it's hard to say, but if you don't say it, then it wouldn't be loving. And what Paul does here is a good example of doing what needs to be done in a relationship, knowing that it is going to be a painful process. And it is painful, confronting people you love when you want what is best for them out of love for them, not with the intent to cause them pain. We will see Paul explain in chapters 2 and 4 that he has abundant love for them, despite the church in Corinth disliking what he had to say in the first letter and the visit that he made to them. And then in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, we see Paul, he's giving thanks to God for the comfort that was given to him despite the suffering and persecution that he has experienced. And then Paul also explains his change of plans to come and visit them instead of continuing on to the next town. Originally, Paul had planned to travel from Ephesus through Macedonia to Corinth on his way back to Jerusalem. But instead, when Paul learned of all the things going on in Corinth, he chose to go there instead because of his love for them. And then in chapter 2, Paul urges the church to forgive the sinner that once questioned Paul's apostleship since he has repented now and to find their triumph in Christ. And then chapter 3, we see Paul give a defense for his apostleship again through the evidence of the Corinthian church to the surrounding churches that he is an apostle. And Paul touches on the ministry of the new covenant versus the old covenant. And so, as we get here to uh, chapter 4, we're going to see this outline in verses 7 through 12 of sacrificial living. And then verses 13 through 15 of belief and glory. And then verses 16 through 18, we're going to see an eternal perspective that Paul is trying to give believers in 2 Corinthians on how, what they should be looking to in eternity here. But at the beginning of chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6, 
Paul says that he does not lose heart from those that do not accept the gospel. Because through his ministry, God is bringing about the beginning of the new creation, even through this fallen world. So let's read together, if you'll follow along with me in verses 7 through 18. Here Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So looking back at verse 7, what is this treasure and why is it in jars of clay? Well, this treasure that is talked about is the gospel. Look back with me in verses 6 through 7 of chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6, excuse me. In verse 4, Paul says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. And so looking back at those verses, we can see that there is a treasure that is that we are to hold on to. This treasure is the gospel, it is the glory of Jesus Christ. Right? So the gospel, the one that that we know of that because of our sin we were separated from God, that then God sent his son so that when he died on the cross and rose 3 days later, we could now have a relationship with him. This is the good news, the gospel that we should treasure and hold on to in our clay bodies, in our bodies. So there's this light that's being shown. It's the light of the gospel. That should be the treasure that we hold on to. If people don't see the gospel as a treasure to us, then no one will be curious about it. Now, the clay here, as I kind of hinted at, is our bodies or our hearts. And this is a metaphor in the ancient Near East of being frail and weak or for human weakness. 
Now, I've heard that clay pottery is everywhere in Israel. Um, You can find it anywhere and you can even buy it as a souvenir. And so we know that clay pottery was used and this is why they're using this example here because it was also fragile. But Paul is saying this because our bodies are mortal. They break down and they deteriorate. And some of you are like, yeah, I know, believe me, I got out of bed this morning and things did not work well. So, but clay jars were often used as a place to hold valuables in some instances. And so here we see Paul saying that God is willing to use us as weak humans to show his great power. We are like a vessel for God's glory. A vessel's worth comes from what it holds, not from what it is. So hopefully, as people get to know who you are, the treasure inside of you will spill out because you are so full of that treasure. So why does God use us for the gospel? Well, it says at the end of the verse, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Because even though we are mortal, we serve a God that offers immortality. All of the power is in him, not in us. And this is just like Paul. I mean, it's, it's almost like you can hear him say that he will boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses before we can even get to chapter 12. But if we can't understand that it is God's power that has worked in us to bring us to a saving relationship, if we're in Christ this morning with him, then we need to rethink our conversion experience. God has done a work in us to bring, him, to bring us to him. We need to recognize that. We haven't saved ourselves. We can't save ourselves by any good works or any means by that. We are hopeless without Christ. And so we see Paul has surrendered to God so much that everything in his life is nowhere near as important as him giving God all the glory and honor and praise. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we know very well, it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. There's nothing that we can do to earn his favor. Now verses 8 and 9, Paul says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. As we carry the gospel with us through this life, there are moments in our lives that bring us to a breaking point where we cannot imagine how we can keep going through something like what we are going through without the gospel. You know, this past week uh, was a little crazy. We know that Mary was in the hospital getting treatment. Um, I don't know if you heard, my wife and I had a lead poisoning scare Uh, We're okay. We got our blood tested, so everything's good. Um, And then also, as we know, uh, the Faulkners, uh, their daughter broke her femur on a ski trip. There was a lot going on. It felt like everything was all happening at once. And so even though we don't face as much physical persecution in America, persecution can still come in many different forms, even in the hardships of life. Job is a prime example of not understand 
not understanding why he is losing everything, but still trying to put his faith and trust in the Lord. If you remember Job, he was the wealthiest in the land. He had a lot of things. And then what happened was he lost it all. Although he couldn't see it, we know that the Lord allowed Satan to afflict Job in an effort to try and get Job to curse God. Satan was trying to put Job in a spot where he was going to just say, I'm done with you. Even Job's wife tried to convince him to curse God. There can be afflictions of the mind and how we think, even our emotions. The pain of loss can cause us to want to give up on life sometimes. Losing a job or losing a relationship, whether through death or other circumstances. Maybe that means losing a house or being diagnosed with a disease. Each of these things that we face in our lives can be used by the enemy to try to make you curse God instead of running to him for your only hope. Oftentimes when these things happen, we ask, God, why is this happening? There's a weight that comes with all of these things that go on in our lives. Right now, as, as a matter of fact, you may be thinking of some of the things happening in your life or maybe that have happened this past year. Something that you're currently dealing with. This weight can begin to grow heavy on us when we aren't treasuring the gospel because we're thinking about, well, what am I going to do if this happens and what, what are we going to do if this happens? How are we going to make it this month? What's that going to look like? Most of us know the trials that Paul faced on his missionary journeys. But if you've forgotten, I want to remind you, up to this point that Paul is writing, he had been beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, in danger from rivers, robbers, Jews and Gentiles. He's faced sleepless nights, freezing temperatures, hunger, thirst, and he's had very little clothing. All while carrying for the churches that he helped plant. And so one might think, well, maybe Paul was discouraged by all of this, but that's not what verses 8 and 9 suggest. He's afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul has a hope in something greater than the current afflictions he is facing and has faced in the past. Paul knows that to be at the end of his own resources is not to be at the end of God's resources. Paul is putting his hope in more than what he can do. It is in the gospel. He is trusting in Christ through these difficult situations. So if you want an example this morning of what it looks like to live in hope of something more than yourself, look right here. When you feel like you have nothing left to give, is your hope and your strength in Christ. Now, it's, it's certainly okay to have emotions or to feel a certain way about each circumstance that you face. Those are normal. That's how God has made us in some instances. But are you believing what you say you believe? 
As many times as Paul escaped death and defeat, those were signs of Christ's power at work in him. So if there comes a time when Christians are persecuted more for our faith here in America, and you escape death or defeat, then you can confidently say that Christ's power is at work in you. But even then, if that doesn't happen, and the things that you face in this life are overcome, we can rejoice in Christ's power at work in us, whether that's sickness, whether that's finances, whether whatever trial or whatever you're facing, if those things are overcome, we can still rejoice in those things. And even if they don't get overcome, Paul still rejoices and so can we. Now verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. As Christians, we carry with us the suffering of Christ. When we are exposed to danger, death, emotional strain, and relational loss, we are sharing in Christ's suffering for his sake daily. As we walk with Christ, we should always be dying to self and finding life in Christ. Because we share with Christ in our sufferings, we should not be afraid to suffer in this life. We should grow in our hope in Christ. Now, I am fully aware that this is easier said than done. So let's look at verse 11. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And so as we're living, we should be living for Jesus' sake, not for our own. Now, this is why it seems that God was using Paul so much, because God knew that Paul was going to be obedient. If we're dying to ourselves for Jesus' sake, then God's power is going to be revealed through us. If we're putting away our selfish desires for our own gain, or our desires for lust, or greed, or power, and we're living for Christ then we can see God use us more than we could have imagined. This doesn't mean, when, when Paul says that um, Christ, Jesus's, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, this doesn't mean that we can go immediately, just start, let's, let's walk into the hospital and let's just start healing people. Which, by the way, why don't TV evangelists go to hospitals? It's a good question to ask. Uh, or, we can't literally move mountains or cause the ocean to split at will. In this context here, Paul is talking about Christ's power getting him through the persecution that he has faced. It's not about willing and doing whatever we would like because then that would make us God. And this doesn't mean here that Paul has all of the answers when he's going through persecution either. In verse 12, Paul says, So death is at work in us, but life in you. And so Paul here is referencing him and the apostles when he says us as the ones that are suffering, kind of as their spiritual leaders. And the you here in verse 12 is in reference to the Corinthian church that he is writing to. Paul is saying the more that he suffered as a minister to them, the more they prospered spiritually. 
So as pastors and ministers learn to face hardships and deal with them biblically, it should result in the people they are ministering to to grow in their trust of God through adversity. Verses 13 and 14. He says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul is talking about how the church and the apostles have the same spirit. And he quotes Psalm 116, verse 10. The psalmist, David, who wrote in the same spirit of deliverance, being delivered from suffering. And so this is why Paul quoted him in the same spirit of faith, not only with the Corinthian church, but also in this deliverance from suffering. But even though Paul was suffering... He chose to trust in the Lord to deliver him from the persecution, and the Lord did. Paul didn't get upset about the persecution because he understood that the persecution he faced helped the local church grow spiritually. It was the least he could do for a Savior that gave his life so that he can have eternal life. Paul's love for Christ is what drove him to do what he did. And so when's the last time that your love for Christ was the reason you were obedient to him? Not just because you knew you should, because it was the right thing to do, it's what we've been taught. When your love for Christ outshined everything that you did, and you did it just because you loved him. Some of us in here may be acting like Christ still owes us something when he gave us everything that he could. So no matter if the affliction we face brings us to death, we can know that we will be raised with Jesus in glorified bodies and we will all be together again. There's no worry here. So let us live like we believe what Scripture teaches. If the church doesn't start acting like the gospel is life and death, then no one outside the church is going to feel like they need Jesus. We see Paul here. He acted in a way that most of us would not. He actually believed what he said he did because of how he lived. We see this lived out here in this passage. A few years ago, I had a a man tell me uh, something that stuck with me. He said, you can't act contrary to what you believe. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter what you tell others you say. You will not act contrary to what you say you believe. Or to what you believe. Excuse me. So verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul understood something that most people take a lifetime to realize. When viewed in the right way, hardships can produce the best in us 
for the glory of God. I mean, if you think about James last week, I preached over James. In James chapter 1, he talks about rejoicing whenever you face trials and temptations of many kinds, brothers, because you know that the testing of your faith, your faith will produce perseverance. Hardships can produce the best in us for the glory of the Lord. Paul has in mind what is best for the Corinthians. He loves them dearly, and because he loves them, he tells them the hard, thing, the hard things. He gladly endured suffering for the gospel because he knew that it would benefit the church in Corinth. How are we doing with that today? What does that look like with us? When hard, hard times come, is Christ your hope in those moments? Maybe perhaps you're turning to something else. What is it that you're turning to to take the edge off of those hard times? I know for me, in the past, I've been relatively short with people in my day-to-day tasks because I have a schedule and I like to stick to that schedule. And sometimes I come off as rude. I don't intend to. But what I'm having to realize is that it only takes a moment to be willing to sacrifice the next thing on my schedule for personal interaction so that I can show people that I love them, not just say it. We've been given so much through the gospel that we should be willing to give so much more in the ministry of the church. In verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is saying here that even though our bodies are continually weakening, our spirit is being strengthened. But yet God chooses to use us as jars of clay, something so fragile God could use anything else that he wanted in this world. But he primarily chooses to use us to carry the good news of the gospel to a lost world. Something fragile. Something that makes mistakes often. And so if we are allowing God's word to change us and renew our minds daily as he, in Romans 12, then we can expect to develop a spirit that can withstand every persecution that we can face. And then in this verse, we even begin to see Paul's eternal perspective on things by his reference of our inner self being renewed day by day, our spiritual development. It just, it never stops. This body will one day fade away, but we will continue on spiritually. Verse 17, he says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It is almost humorous that Paul calls the afflictions that he faces as light. I don't know if you remember that list I I named off, but he's considering that as a light, momentary affliction. All the beatings, all the stonings, light to him. But for us, sometimes we might even be tempted to think that 
We're being persecuted because our Amazon package didn't show up when we wanted it to. But this is his perspective on things that he's facing. So if Paul views the things that he is facing as light afflictions, then we have some introspective thinking that needs to take place this morning so that we can have the same posture as Paul if we are ever faced with some of the same things he's faced with. But we can apply this also to the things I listed earlier. The afflictions of the mind, maybe you get diagnosed with a disease you didn't expect We can still face difficult times. However, it will look differently in America than it does in other nations, and that's okay. When we face persecution for the sake of Christ, we can expect an eternal reward for it. Our obedience, even in this life, often fosters good blessings from the Lord, good and perfect gifts. When we face those times that cause us to ask why, it is in those times when we need to allow our hope to be in Christ and not in our own willpower to push through it. I just want to ask, do we have any control freaks this morning? Show of hands. Yes? Okay, great. Look, we got to let go of these things. We can't control every little bit of our lives. Because we've got to allow God to be God and to step into some of the hard situations that we face in this life. And whenever you're trying to control things, what you're really telling God is, I don't trust you enough. Again, easier said than done. Don't want to stand up here, act like I'm perfect at it. But we've got to let go of trying to control things. Let God be sovereign. Let him take care of us like he says he will. Lean on his promises and what he's told us. And then lastly here in verse 18, Paul says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We see Paul's perspective eternally looking to what is past this life. We should look to the things that are eternal. The things that really mean something that last longer than just this life. Not that this life doesn't matter. The decisions we, we make in this life have meaning for where we will end up. But when we have an eternal perspective on life, it helps us live as sacrifices for Christ because there's no fear in death we think of eternity we trust in, and if we're trusting in Christ we can know that no matter what eventually one day we will all be united together again this is good news all of the worries and the fears and the complications and the danger that we face start to become less important in the light of eternity This is, again, why Paul can say that we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Paul has a hope and something greater and he's looking to eternity. He's looking to Christ. He's looking to the gospel. This is why Paul says that these afflictions are light and momentary because he knows that there's an eternity and that this life is short. And these afflictions are light and they're momentary. And just for this moment, if we can endure them, we'll be rewarded not only here but for eternity. He is looking to eternal glory with the Father. And so when you begin to look at life from an eternal perspective, then I guarantee you that you will begin to make different choices in your day-to-day life starting today. After this section, Paul starts to talk about how our bodies are a tent. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says this, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He understands that this is a, our bodies are like a tent, this, again, temporary. The choices we make will be different if we start begin to think this way. The attitude that we have toward others will change. And how we speak to one another can possibly be more lighthearted. And so this morning, I encourage you, look to Christ for your hope and for your salvation in all things and in all ways. Start trusting in him instead of your own willpower. Let go of the things that you think you have control over. Let him be your hope in these difficult times as he is allowing us in these jars of clay, our bodies, to carry the gospel to those around us. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just want to pray this morning thanking you that you have chosen to use us as weak and as fragile jars of clay as we are to carry the hope of the gospel to people that do not have a relationship with you. Father, we thank you that we are not crushed. We aren't driven to despair. We aren't forsaken or destroyed. We thank you that through our suffering, you can be made manifested in our lives. And we thank you, Father, that you are going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth with glorified bodies praising you and worshiping you. Bodies that will be perfected without decay. We thank you that as we look to the things that are eternal, that you would be given all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning.